0: Good morning. Today we're going to read from John 1, 35 to 51. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered, before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man.
1: Thank you, Josh. Good morning. Got my rock. You guys bring yours? You guys didn't know about the stoning after the service? (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Let's pray. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the great joy Even the privilege of getting together in this way, coming together. Holy Spirit, would you lead the way this morning? Would you be our teacher? Would you speak to us and move in such a way that our hearts um, are opened? You would help us to see you more clearly that we would get to know you better, we pray in Jesus' name, Amen. Thank you for the reading, Josh. Um, welcome. If this is your first time at Grace City, very very glad you're here. I um, hope this is really good for you. I hope you get a chance to connect with a few people. Um, I hope someone smiles at you, eye contact and all, before you leave this place because um, it really is a gift to come together. Um, love that we have people joining us online every week. That is also uh, quite a gift, quite an exceptional gift. Um, but be, to be able to come together, that's, that's where the action's at. Um, so I hope it's, hope it's good for you. We are now following Jesus. Uh, this is week three installment number three in the book of John, and and we're off and running. Uh, Jesus is now calling people to himself. Uh, John makes the announcement for the second time, behold the Lamb of God, who's come to take away the sins of the world. This time, two of his disciples hear him say it, and without any questions, apparently, they drop what they're doing, and they start following Jesus. Um, Jesus notices. It says that he, looks, he looked and saw them following and asked them, what are you seeking? Why are you following me? And they, of course, asked him a question in return. Jesus, where are you staying? Uh, where are you abiding? And he said, come and see So they do, they follow him, they receive the invitation, they spend the night with him, which I just absolutely love. I've I've preached a handful of sermons just on that, something about meeting Jesus. What are you looking for? Come and spend the night, let's hang. We're moving, we're going someplace. There's a dynamic um, feel about this following Jesus. The next day, uh, Andrew who was one of John the Baptist's disciples thinks man I've got to go find my brother Simon who will eventually be renamed as Peter and he finds Simon and says you've got to come meet this Jesus and he brings him to Jesus and Jesus looks right at him and he says you, I, know, I know you. I know you I've seen you around you're Simon son of John but I'm telling you I see someone else. You're going to be called Cephas, which is the Aramaic uh, word for rock. Petros is the Greek word for rock or Peter. Then Jesus decides to go uh, to Galilee, if I'm remembering it correctly, or that region to find Philip. It's interesting, there's sort of a, you know, you've got a couple of people finding Jesus. Now, Jesus is seeking Philip. And he goes and finds Philip. Philip immediately decides that he needs to go and find Nathaniel. He tells Nathaniel, We have found the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. And of course, uh, Nathaniel remarks. And you can read all sorts into it. Nazareth? Could anything good come out of Nazareth? There's all sorts of commentary on what, like, what is that supposed to mean? Does he have something against Naz- Nazareans? Naz- not Nazarites, people from Nazareth? Apparently, it was a little town right on the border of the Gentile area. And so, I suppose some Uh, Jewish people would have seen uh, anyone who lived in Nazareth as just a little too close to those unclean Gentile folk, um, which would be us, by the way, unless you're Jewish. He brings Nathanael to Jesus, and once again, Jesus, he looks at Nathanael, and he says, ah, a true Israelite in whom there is no deceit, Possible reference to Isaiah 53? Maybe. A true Israelite. Someone who speaks his mind, who who says what he means and means what he says. No duplicity in this one. No pretense. I know you. You're not interested in playing games. I saw you sitting under the fig tree before we met today now for sure there's meaning in that there's three times in the uh, the hebrew scriptures the old testament first kings four micah four and Zechariah three this um phrase sitting under the fig tree apparently it's a kind of ancient jewish idiom there's some different opinions about what exactly it means but in each one of those Um, instances the context is to do with this time when the messiah would come and everyone would sit under their own vine and their own fig tree and they would enjoy peace and provision when messiah comes Um, in the first kings chapter four reference this is the time when king solomon was ruling David had won all of his fights. The kingdom was secure. They were wealthy. They were known for their wisdom. The nations were coming from all over to experience God's people and their blessings. And under the rule of Solomon, it was said that everyone sat under their own vine and their own fig tree. They enjoyed the blessing of uh, their God, Yahweh, under the rule of Shlomo, King Solomon, the king of peace shalom there's so much that john the the author of our gospel here is just packing into these few verses like layer upon layer of theological symbolism that's not even to say anything of like the different names of jesus uh, we'll find as we go that John is really obsessed with the number seven. You see it all over. And in this passage we just read, in fact, we see Jesus referred to seven different uh, names, titles, if you will. There are certain words that John keeps using over and over. The repetition is, uh, mustn't be overlooked John is wanting to tell us more than just the story of events. He's wanting to say something deeply theological about what's happening and how this, what Jesus is doing, what he's just beginning to do is supposed to mean. For sure, you cannot uh, miss the fact that this um, Jesus coming on the scene and inviting people to follow him. It's a super dynamic series of events. There's seeking, there's finding, there's following, there's being found, there's uh, being seen, and Jesus himself seen like none other. And all this is happening. I, um, I find it to be very challenging in like all the best ways. Uh, Is it true, is is it not true that for the most part, I I hate to just get right into the generalizations, but just bear with me. In a lot of ways, I think we sort of reduce following to Jesus down to um, a pew and a 30 to 40 minute sermon, or maybe a podcast or something online. And it's a very, very passive sort of thing experience but you read the the opening verses of john you're like there's absolutely nothing passive about this like this is nothing but action jesus walking finding seeking following inviting people to come and just see come and see come and experience at this point one has to wonder do these men andrew simon Philip, Nathanael, by the way, I drew all of them over there on the board. You can't see it if you're online, but if you're here with us live. Um, so oftentimes I doodle while I'm praying, and that's, that's the gang right there. Jesus right in the middle. Philip with the crazy hair. Nathanael, in my mind, Nathanael couldn't quite grow a beard. So therefore, just the mustache. But Jesus, is he's, 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 rallying, he's rallying his gang. He's gathering his, his disciples and um one has to wonder do these people have any idea what they're even getting into they have some idea he's the lamb of god some definite allusions to the old testament temple sacrifice atonement theology etc But man surely at this point they have no idea where they're actually going jesus is on a journey to the cross. Um, but let's not get ahead of ourselves. It's dynamic. It's dynamic, and that makes me want to just completely reimagine, like, what could it look like to follow Jesus in a world that naturally sort of defaults to just passive spiritual voyeurism? Something to think about. Was that a weird use of the word? Spiritual voyeurists, we're all spiritual voyeurists. That, that doesn't sound right. Seeking, finding, following, being found, and inviting others. There's a whole lot of being seen in this little little passage. Everyone gets seen. Jesus turned and he looked and he saw. He saw. Simon. He saw Nathanael sitting under the fig tree. And of course, there is the invitation three times. Come and see. Come and see. One time, Philip himself invites Nathanael. Well, I don't know if anything good can come out of Nazareth. Why don't you come and see for yourself? There's an invitation three times. Come and see. Jesus is seeing people in genesis 16 backing way up in the story it's the story of uh, hagar guys remember that any old testament scholars in the room genesis 16 um hagar is abraham's uh maid or uh abraham's wife's servant let's put it that way abraham and sarah are struggling to have a child apparently they're supposed to have a big family part of god's promise to them but it's not happening and so one of them has the idea well maybe you can just lie with my servant hagar and that that surely that that'll work out totally doesn't work out and so sarah gets jealous naturally, and tells Hagar to get lost. Go, good luck. Take your, take your illegitimate son and, and take off. I don't care what happens to you. And so she does. She's kicked out of the house. She's out in the middle of nowhere, convinced that her little boy is going to die from exposure to the elements. And an angel shows up and reminds this woman, God sees you. And we're told that God's, one of God's names in Hebrew is El Roy. The God who sees. The word has become flesh. God has entered into creation. And now he's dwelling with his own creatures. Inviting people to follow him. To spend the night with him. To get to know him and he sees them, sees them, he sees them in the most wonderful and awful way, not like Santa Claus, he sees you when you're sleeping, he knows when you're awake, you ever, you ever think, is Jesus a little like Santa, like he's just like lurking, watching, (laughs) maybe a little bit, (laughs) it is, it is one of these wonderful um, tensions in scripture, like God sees me, That's, what a wonderful thought. What a terrifying thought. God sees me. God sees me. Whatever I'm doing, wherever I'm at, whatever I'm thinking, God sees my heart. And what a wonderful encouragement. God sees me. Jesus is seeing people. He sees Simon for who he really is. That's my name, Simon. Um, Simon is sort of the, um, what's the English or the Greek version of the Hebrew name Shimon, Shimon coming from the word Shema, which in Hebrew means uh, to listen and obey or to hear and obey. Could you imagine being named to obey? In other words, Simon was named by John. He's the son of John. You're the kid who's going to always listen and always obey. Middle name, don't screw it up no pressure. Something about names. My name is Simon. You know what my middle name is? My parents are listening. I love you guys. I don't know if you quite thought through the name thing though. My parents named me Simon Jacob. Those are two of like the worst names in the Bible. New Testament Simon, Old Testament Jacob. Simon, the guy who's constantly just desperately trying to keep up appearances. He was named the guy who's gonna get it right. He's gonna always listen, he's always gonna obey the Shema. I mean, this is the most important holy prayer in the life of God's people, the Jewish people. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall obey the Lord. It's really, really, it's a big deal. And he was named Shema, the one who will listen and obey. And it's funny, as we follow the life of Simon, who will become known as Peter, along the way, this guy is desperate to keep up appearances. Desperate to impress Jesus and to get it right, to do all the right things and to make sure as the crowd looks on, they're, 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 they're getting it just right. And in the end, you know why Peter falls. You know why Peter ends up betraying Jesus after he swears he's going to get it right. We're told there's a young slave girl who calls him out, and he folds. He caves. It would seem he's really, he's the kind of person who really struggles with pretense. He needs People to think this is the guy who gets it right and in the end he can't he's unable to keep it up under the pressure i see you simon i see you for who you really are and he invites him to follow him anyways in fact he <clears throat> he says i see you i know you I know the person you've been trying to be your whole life. And I'm gonna rename you Rock, Rock. The guy who in the end caves because the little slave girl calls him out is gonna be named the Rock. Jesus is seeing, he's seeing something else. He sees Nathanael under the fig tree so unlike Peter, Nathaniel, hes it seems like he's not a guy who's easily sort of given um, persuaded by the opinion of others, right? That's, that seems to be the, the picture that's being painted. If Peter's one guy, Nathaniel's the opposite. A true Israelite, a truthful Israelite, a person who's not duplicitous but says what he really means, I saw you sitting under that fig tree. I saw you dreaming about the time when the kingdom will be restored to God's people and you'll experience that peace, that blessing, that security that you've been desiring your whole life. During this time, God's people, they were living under the hardcore Rule, the iron fist rule of the Roman Empire. Far, far, far from the fig tree under Solomon's rule. So it was as if Jesus was saying, I know you. I know you. And I know your deepest desire. The impression I get is that Nathaniel was the kind of guy who actually. Unlike Simon Peter, um, he wasn't sort of running around desperately trying to impress everyone around him. He's like, I don't care what you think about me. I know who I am. Yet I'm beginning to wonder, will the king ever come? These um, hopes that I was raised to have ever actually come to pass. Jesus says, I see you. I see you. Now we could just stop there, because that's a pretty cool thought. What if, what if we became the kind of uh, church community that just learned how to see each other like Jesus? You know, um, when we started this series just a couple weeks ago through the book of John, my uh, my, my pitch. My vision for us as a church was that we could perhaps use this journey through John as a way to slow down. because John's a long book, and if we really do it justice, it's going to take us like well over a year to get through this thing. And that's, that's fantastic. We need that. Heck, I need that. Okay, I, don't know what I don't know what you guys need, but I need it. I need to slow down. And instead of just racing from point A to B and trying to get everything done and try to catch up with like the year and a half I just lost. What if instead I slowed down. To a walk's pace. What if we learned how to walk. With Jesus, that's just a picture, just an idea. What if if, if we, as we slowed down. We began to notice the people around us We began to see people. Maybe for the first time. It's hard to see someone when you're just driving in a car everywhere. I'm not anti-car. But sometimes sometimes you got to just slow it down, slow it down. I don't know how you are. I'm not actually I did not grow up in Oregon. You know the first, I went like 15 years without getting a speeding ticket. I lived in Southern California for about 10 years, and then I lived in London, over in England, for about nine years. People know how to to get around, like get on with it. Like I've got places to go. And then I moved to Corvallis, Oregon. My very first weekend there, I got a speeding ticket. Like, ah! what is wrong with you people? (laughs) Let's pick it up. And so God has been teaching me to slow down. Slow down. Maybe you'll begin to see some things that you've been missing for a long time. That's a a beautiful thought. I love the... um, the idea of being the kind of church family where if someone came in here, maybe they don't know anyone. And they wonder to themselves, I wonder if anyone will even notice me. Have you ever left someplace and felt, you know what? I honestly could have not have even shown up and no one would have noticed. I don't I don't know if anyone actually saw me. Yeah, one or two people kind of like said hi to me, but it was so superficial. I don't think they actually saw me. What if we like practice being the kind of church family where we, we intentionally um, learned how to slow down enough to where people would know for sure, like, no, no, I was seen. Oh, I was seen. Oh, it was, it was, I was uncomfortably seen. I didn't want to be seen like that. Just wanted someone someone to kind of make eye contact with me. What if we went out of our ways, out of our way as people to begin like practicing, like, no, I want you to see me. I I don't want you to see me because that's terrifying. I know this is all very cliche. We talk about this stuff all the time. Oh, I want to be seen, but I don't want to be seen. And we don't want to be seen because we're terrified of being seen, like really seen. Like what if someone actually gets to know me and to know my shame, to know the stuff that I struggle with and and the life that I work so, so hard to hide. What if someone began to really see me, see me so much that they might cringe a little bit if they actually knew what was going on in my life. That's terrifying. But what if we ask God to give us courage? Give me courage to be seen and help me to slow down so that I can actually take time to see people around me. There's way too many blurry faces, just just blurred faces, just racing by, racing by. But we must not stop there. If we stopped there, honestly, that would be a bit more akin to like Zen Buddhism, where we're all just trying to like meditate enough to learn how to like see things as they really are to see people as they really are. That would be a great start, but Jesus doesn't stop there. Jesus invites people, I believe he's inviting us to see as he sees, come and see. You want to know where I'm staying, come and see. I could tell you about it. I could give you the pamphlet or the website. I could just give you the QR code. Or you could come and see. There's something experiential about this. Come and see. Here's the house key. Let yourself in. Fridge is full. I'll see you there. If it gets too late, don't worry about it. I've got two couches. Spend the night, we'll hang. Come and see. He tells Nathanael, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Jesus doesn't just see the person. It's almost like he sees them and then sees beyond where the person's at and visualizes this is who you could be through the lens of redemption. It's like Jesus is looking beyond his work on the cross. I see you, I see you as you really are, but I'm telling you, I see more. If you'll follow me, if you trust me, if you allow me to recreate you. By the way, I'm, I'm busy recreating the universe as you know it. And I want to make you new. He tells Simon, I see you. I see the weight you've been carrying. I see your name. I see how hard you want to get it right. I see you, later on he's gonna be like, and I also see you falling flat on your face. So sorry, it's gonna happen. You're gonna fail, and I see you. But I see someone else. I see a rock. I see you, Nathan. I see you with that slightly cynical attitude. What good could come out of branch town? That's what Nazareth means, literally translated, branch town. What branch is coming out of this town? I see you. I see your hope waning, sitting under that fig tree, dreaming of better days. Come with me, and I'll show you something. And you'll see heaven opening. This is Genesis 28. Heaven opening, the angels descending and ascending upon the earth. You guys remember this story in Genesis 28? Jacob, he's on the run, he's deceived his father and his older brother, and now his mom's told him, look, you better take off, you got the blessing, now run. And so once again, you find this person out in the middle of nowhere, and we're told that all Jacob has is a rock for a pillow. That's a sorry state right there. That's That's all he's got. He got the blessing, and his big brother's like, I'm going to murder you. Once I'm done mourning Dad, I am going to murder you. So Jacob runs, and all he's got is a rock for a pillow. That sucks. Jacob lies down, apparently, he goes to sleep, and he has a vision. Like a, like a waking vision. Not just a dream, but a vision. And he sees angels. There's a ladder. Heaven opens and there's a ladder. And angels are descending and ascending. This is, this is the reference that Jesus is making. Something, Jesus sees something that's a fulfillment of that ancient vision. Come with me. And I'll teach you to see through the lens of redemption. Redemption. I'll teach you to see yourself. I'll teach you to see your circumstances. I bet you there's more than just a few of us in here who feel that, like Jacob. I got nothing, I had dreams. I still kinda got them, but it hurts. It hurts to keep dreaming. I feel like all I've got is a rock for a pillow, that's it. That's what my life now amounts to. I mean, for sure none of you are that bad off. You got no place to sleep, and you got a rock for a pillow. And Jesus says, come with me. I'll teach you to see something that you're not seeing. Jacob said when he awoke, he exclaimed and said, oh my goodness, God was in this place, and I didn't even realize, it It says, it's Genesis 28, 16, I think he says, how awesome is this place? God was here all along, and I never even realized it. And it's as if Jesus is saying to Nathanael, Look, there's something going on here. There's a world that's, that, that, that exists that you're not perceiving. Come with me, and I'll teach you to see like I see. I'll teach you to see yourself the way I see you. I'll teach you to see your circumstances. The way that I view them, there's there's more going on here than some dirt and a rock pillow. Heaven is about to open up. Jacob said, this is heaven's gate. Jesus is heaven's gate. And he says, if you'll let me open your eyes, I'll teach you to see the way I see. I'll teach you to see people the way I see them. As these men would go on to follow Jesus, um, within just a matter of verses, Jesus begins to interact with all these different people. It gets super, super controversial. The whole book of John is actually sort of built on seven great controversies. You know that? Seven great controversies. The seventh one being the the resuscitation of Lazarus. Dude was dead for four days, and Jesus brings him back to life. Everyone freaks out. After that, we gotta kill this guy. Like, he is starting a revolution. We need to off him. He begins to have all these controversial moments with these people who the rest of the world would just assume right off. He meets a Samaritan woman at a well and his disciples are like, whoa, why are you talking to this person? She's nobody, she's a waste of time. We, We are on mission, we've got stuff to do. We're trying to build like the kingdom, Jesus. Why are you talking to this woman? And this woman, it, she was key to the mission. And Jesus saw her. He saw her. and invited her to participate. Jesus will see um, one of the great controversies. He heals a young man who'd been blind his whole life. Huge controversy. He did it on the Sabbath. He meets another uh, man who had been unable to walk from birth at this pool of the sheep gate. I reckon people would walk by him for decades. You now we walk by people. Eventually they just sort of like kind of blend in with the trash. Jesus sees these people. It's like he sees us. Jesus wants to teach us to see like he sees. He wants to open our eyes. It takes humility. It takes humility. i, I tell you what's not going to open the eyes of anyone's heart is another sermon. I'm the quintessential self-loving preacher. Yeah, I do it every Sunday and I think it's super important and I think you should come back here and listen to me teach you because I think the Holy Spirit is like in it big time. But I know that a sermon, whether it be live or online, does not open the eyes of anyone's heart. It's when the man or the woman says, I'm blind. Lord Jesus, help me see. Lord Jesus, I can't see as you see. I feel like everything's just a blur and I'm moving too fast to even focus. Lord Jesus, help me slow down so that I can see like you see. But if you have a heart that's smug and full of pride, then you're blind. You might stay that way unless you repent. And ask Jesus to open your heart. John says in Brother Jesus says in John chapter three, verse three, he says, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven. Isn't that interesting? Unless you are born again, unless God does something in your heart. You cannot see. The kingdom of heaven, oh, it's breaking out everywhere. Angels touching down left and right, people getting healed, people getting uh, included in the kingdom, lost sons and daughters coming home just like so many of us. But if Jesus doesn't open the eyes of our hearts, all just words. Just an idea. Just another religious philosophy. Jesus wants to open the eyes of your hearts so that we can see. Can we stand together, please? Can I invite the worship team? come up like to end by praying a prayer that's been recorded in scripture for us far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Lord Jesus, would you open the eyes of our hearts that we would see what you see, that we would see ourselves the way you see us, valuable enough that you would come and die for each one of us not because we've kept up pretenses but simply because you love us i pray that you would rekindle hope within our hearts lord as we sit under our fig trees wondering when will the day come that i get to experience the blessings of god Lord, i pray that you would renew our hope lord that we would see the world that you see heaven crashing in from every angle We might follow you and invite others to come and see. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship.